Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, the managing partner at Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is an entrepreneur who successfully sold his business to his leading competitor, ADP, a Fortune 500 payroll company in 2007. He is an accountant and consultant for growing companies and nonprofits, the president and CEO of CFO Services Group. Please welcome Manny Cosme. Welcome, Manny. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Greg. Good to, good to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. Um, so this show is all about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, Manny, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Misconceptions in leadership. So you, you asked me ahead of time to prep, prep my thoughts on this question. And so I've actually, have, I've actually given it a lot of thought. Uh, I was journaling about it this morning. Uh, I, I do my meditations every morning, and I was thinking about this question as I was meditating, and then I wrote down some answers. Um, so misconceptions about leadership, I think there's a lot of them. Uh, the one that really came to me was this idea that leadership is something that is done externally to people. I think that when when someone thinks about leadership, it's, well, I have to lead people I have to somehow do something to someone to get them to act in a certain way and move forward. But I don't think that really is what leadership is. I think leadership is really about someone being true and honest and open with themselves and then letting that exude out into the world and then letting others sort of get magnetized by that. And then that in and of itself is what moves people forward. So I think that's really what leadership is. And I think that's the common misconception. It's really taking it internal and being true to yourself and then letting that move people. And so to say that slightly differently, it's self-leadership. And as you understand who you are and what your values are and what your purpose is, that attracts others to follow versus the other way in which you stand on a podium and you feel like you're a leader and you're going to sort of force others to follow. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's really about, you know, really stirring that energy that resides within someone else to get up and do something right. I, I can't, I can, you're right. I can stand on a podium and I can preach to the world and I can preach to my, you know, team, you know, you should do this and you should do that. And you should get inspired by X, Y, Z. But at the end of the day, they themselves have to get inspired. They have to, they have to spur that energy within them to get up and do something and to make a change. And so how do you, how do I put that onto someone? I can't, what I can do is motivate myself to get up and make those changes and to move myself forward and then allow that energy to be caught by the others around me, which then brings their energy up. You know, it's all about energy, right? It's all about if I raise my energy and my vibration levels, then others will catch on to that frequency 
and they will increase their energy levels and then they will get up and move. And then together as a team, we can really start moving forward. You know, and I Absolutely. think that's really what leadership is. Absolutely. And that's very well said. I'm curious to take that a, a little deeper and from the perspective of building your team. So when you're going through an inner, you identified some candidates to fill in some sort of role, right? We've got a very short amount of time to make an assessment if he or she is going to fit the culture and the passion for the team. Any tips or tricks that you've come up with over the years that that help you identify if this is a person that's going to follow our energy or something to that effect? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And one that, you know, I'm constantly reevaluating certainly as my team grows and, and we move forward and whatnot. And, and, and as the business gets more and more complex as it grows, you know, the challenges we had 10 years ago, five years ago, last year are definitely different than the challenges we have today and then we're going to have tomorrow, right? So it's finding those people that are really going to hook into that energy. And so, you know, when I interview people and I've interviewed a lot of people, um, you know, one thing I do is um, I never really focus on the skill set of the person necessarily. I always sort of assume that, yeah, you can do the job. To me, it's more about, are you going to be the right energetic fit? And do I, can I envision you in the time we have being able to put yourself in challenging positions and move through those challenges? That to me is the most important thing. You know, is this person self-aware? Can they, can they speak from the heart? Can they articulate who they are and what they want? That to me is the most important uh, aspect of bringing on anyone, certainly in other leadership roles in the business. That, that has got to be the number one most important thing, you know, and there, there's lots of techniques about interviewing, you know, top grading is something I've, I've looked at, I've studied, um, you know, a lot of great stuff out of there, of course, um, you know, making sure that people match with core values, of course, have to happen and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you know, it's also learning to trust your gut instinct and really listening to that. Do I see this person as a part of the team? And can I see them growing with the, with the team? That's, that's really, really, really important to me. That's very insightful. Today's guest is a leader in the education technology industry, a guest speaker at the Technical University in Berlin, founding member of EdTech Founders Club, the co-founder and CEO of Marseille. You have to correct my pronunciations. Uh, please welcome Sam and I'm going to mess up your last name, so I'll let you do your last name. <laughs> Very good. So it's Mauricier and it's Sami Benchikhun. So here we go. Benchikhun, brilliant. <laughs> Yours, uh, you're the toughest I've had so far, so I had to punt that back to you. <laughs> it's it's great, to, great to have you on the show. So our podcast is focused on leadership. And my favorite question to ask my podcast guests is, Sammy, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I um, let, so I think generally speaking, I think there's three general misconceptions that that that, that come up my mind. Uh, the, the one that uh, I'm experiencing all the time, and it seems to be a very international one, right? I've moved just from Europe to DC, 
uh, so, so the first one is that uh, element of makes all decisions, right? You know, you're you're the leader. You, you need to you need to make you need to make a decision. You know, go ahead and just just do it, right? Um, and, and I think that that is sort of the biggest misconception. And the, the, the smaller the company or the earlier in that process, the more that misconception is present. Uh, and and, and when, once the company gets larger, I think it, the danger of that actually holding true is really high. Uh, so uh, how how I see leadership in that regard to just you know showcase my my view there is to set the guardrails right to put the guardrails and say you know this is the direction that we are going and then within your team take you know make those decisions yourself you know where the vision is that you know let, let, let let's 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 get it going uh the, the the second the second element is 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 about that how do i call it uh, you know that that effect of being hero right that hero myth mm-hmm. <laughs> you're sort of the super girl or superman <laughs> on top of a mountain and then <laughs> and then uh, and 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 being that power power person uh what what i've experienced so far in, in in the course of my business is really elevating the team right really just putting your team and putting uh, um, putting putting everyone else on, on on top of that mountain and giving sort of giving out those supergirl and superman capes <laughs> but not having it on yourself uh, but really being that facilitator right so being actually uh you know in the second row and and, and, and guiding the way and and the last one uh, the last one really is something that i didn't understand um for quite a long time uh which is that aspiration of everyone uh, being uh, wanting to be a leader, right? You, you, you know, you, you, th- those conception of you hire a person and you know you talk with that person, say, "What are your plans? You know, where do you want to head up?" And you have, in most cases, those people that say, "Well, I'm aspiring to be a good leader. I really want to go that management path um, and 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 be that and 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 be that that people's people's manager." And and I think that idea of leadership. Having many components and just being affiliated to people, um, but being also a leadership that that sort of leads by example and leads because she or he does something extraordinary well, uh, or is really someone that just masters uh, her or his art, is something that is not valued enough, I feel. And I think that the strongest leaders, if you will, just from a leadership perspective at, at Mauricier, are those that do not manage people directly, but those that showcase by sort of the day-to-day, you know, showcasing their activities and their abilities on how incredibly their leadership, incredible their leadership is. So, so that's sort of the three aspects um, of, of how, how I would see the biggest misconceptions of leadership. That's great. That's um, really insightful. And I'd love to dig in a little bit further on that first one when you're talking about guardrails and especially for those when you're starting a business, right? You're 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 on your own. You don't have any guardrails, right? You're in full control. Then you start adding a team. You start adding clients. And at some point in time in that leadership journey, as you're growing your business, to your point, you need to just inform the team of where the guardrails are yeah. versus showing them or dictating where the guardrails are. Walk us through some of your journey in that aspect from building your business to where it is today and how you've changed your sort of your leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. 
So first of all, I, I must say that I've failed in that activity <laughs> almost <laughs> all the time, right? I think I, you know, we're, we're starting to sort of get it better and better, but I think it's one of the hardest activities. And, 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 and I definitely failed a lot in the beginning to get it right because the difficulty that I, that I encountered that, um, that, that I, that I, you know, still find incredibly hard to assess is that notion of when to hand over ownership, when to give up a, a little bit of your own ownership when you are sort of in the middle of the process. What is the right time to say, well, now I can dare making mistakes because I do feel that it has something to do also to letting go and to letting other people add their you know, thought process and that adding their ideas to the table. Um, so that notion of when to let go and when to really manage the process very, very tightly, it, the, the timing question is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly hard. So uh, one time when, when I feel I did um, not uh, too much of a bad, <laughs> bad job there was, was when I felt that there is sort of a, a beginning repeatability in place, right? So the moment you say, well, it's not just a, a client by accident, um, <laughs> which which happens at the beginning a lot. You know, you get a client, you say, well, how did I get that? And then there's the second and sort of came differently. But the moment you see patterns in your clients that you get, um, I feel that's the moment where you can start letting letting go a little bit and say, all right, nice. Now we sort of found that repeatability and now I can add more people that add maybe creative ways to scale faster or scale differently, more efficiently, whatever it is. Um, but that sort of helped me in, in, in timing that. And then after all, it's all about the people that you hire, right? So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, talent, a talent question, right? And, and, and also there. I think I've made a lot of mistakes in the, in, in the past where um, I had some thinking about what would be the perfect person in that in that seat, and and then I sort of didn't do a good job in assessing the the needs very well, and then I put someone else that is in another area of the business excellent, but in what I needed in that time, really not excellent at all, right? So it's sort of that match between the job that needs to be done and the person that. I need to put in that seat and overlapping that is, is, is heavily difficult. It's heavily difficult. So uh, very, very early on, I think people with entrepreneurial mindset that you can literally put in many places that can have different hats on is, is, is always, is always helpful, but they're very hard to find. Certainly. Have you over your experience picked up any tricks in that matchmaking process, either <laughs> from the interview questioning or as you manage people or talk to us about like things that you've learned that help have helped you with that matchmaking process. Yeah. yeah. So my general rule of thumb that I'm applying now more and more is, is quite frankly, the more time I spend in the recruiting process and me personally, the, the, the better I can assess the, 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 the person. So in other words, when I basically, do something that is a little bit uh, um, a little bit against what I feel I need to focus on and focus on, on on growing the business, getting more clients and really just heads down and just executing at least in the beginning of the company. Um, 
I realized that the, the, the more I spend in the actual recruiting process, the better the talent. So it's sort of that nuance of saying, well, I need to take one step back or take it a little bit slower in order to assess talent properly that then fit into that seat versus what I did several times. I stayed in that execution modus and I stayed in my thinking of, I need to win the next client. I need to win the next client. I need to get to the next funding round or whatever it is. And just looked very quickly or tell our CV, check, check, check. Nice, I might be a good fit. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's try it out. And, and unfortunately, it rarely worked. So spending time in the talent, um, with, with new talent and really working with that talent and really confronting with the challenges that one has is, is a high priority, really time spent. And I have a couple of friends that, um, that did something that I never, never dared to do, but I, at some point I want to try it out is spending time with the, the, the talent in, in like a one, two, three day workshop character. So you really invite people and say, well, let's work together on that, on these challenges in order to find out how we work together. And if you are actually a fit for the challenges that I have. So I think that there is a correlation between time invest um, and quality or, you know, matchmaking between the challenge and the person. That's very, very well said. You know, when you think about mistakes that we've made in recruiting and hiring talent, it's always around those times that we were distracted by clients or shareholders or some other. And the talent is actually more important, right? Yeah. More of our time yeah. should be focused on our talent development than our yeah. client development. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur for the past 17 years. She teaches small business owners how to scale their businesses. She's been recognized a part of the 40 under 40 by the American Association of Political Consultants. She's a certified master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, the president and executive coach at BGSD Strategies. Please welcome Michelle Coyle. Welcome, Michelle. Hey. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Excited to talk today. I am as well. So my this podcast is about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Yeah, and I love that question so much, Greg. Thanks for asking. I have uh, three things that really come to mind. Uh, the first is that, and this is one I see a lot, is that you have to have a certain amount of credentials or experience to be a leader. I see a lot of folks, especially folks that, that are women, socialized as women or other type of marginalized folks coming up and feeling like they need to collect so many credentials and so much experience and so much education, or nobody's going to take them seriously as a leader. Uh, and I think that's totally off base. We can delve into that and some awesome examples of uh, who's defying that uh, later on, if you'd like. Um, the second is that leadership is about other people and getting other people to follow you. I think that uh, really leadership is about self-examination and figuring out uh, all of your own shit and getting really authentic and aligned with yourself. Because when you do that, you become magnetic and other people want to follow you, want to listen to what you have to say. Um, and the third is really that leadership is something you're born with or like uh, charisma, leadership ability is something that just comes naturally and you either have it or you don't. Uh, I think there's lots and lots of ways to develop your charisma, develop your leadership potential. And it's really about becoming inspiring to people, which is really about getting inspired yourself. So super excited to delve into any and all of that that you want to talk about today. Yeah, those are that's a great list, Michelle. Let's go back to front. You, know, you just talked about um, 
you know, leaders aren't necessarily born with their leadership skills and then it can be developed. Talk to us about how you've developed your leadership skills or you developed your team's leadership skills. Take us through some of that journey. It's so much about self-examination, Greg, and about really realizing where your strengths are, uh, where your growth areas are, and really kind of getting navel-gazing for a little bit to figure that out. There's so much involved in figuring out what your mission and your purpose is as well. So a lot of the people I talk to, um, and you and I have talked about this a lot recently, it, it, it comes up, especially in the time period that we're in now, lots of burnout happening, lots of, I don't know what I want to do next. I don't even know if I like this. It's really hard to show up in leadership when you're feeling that way, because if you're not inspired, you're not inspiring. And so a lot of becoming a great leader is about figuring out how to get yourself inspired, centering on your mission, your purpose, your why, what lights you up, what gets you up in the morning and bringing that passion to your existence while working on the areas that you need to work on to get rid of you know, all the baggage and all the bullshit that gets in the way of that. So the clearer you can get, the more aligned you are, the more authentic you are, and the more that shines through. So this is not about making yourself into anything that does not come naturally to you. It's much more about becoming who you already naturally are, because every one of us is fantastic in our own way. And it's about really bringing that uniqueness up and out to where people can resonate with it. Right. I think way too often people think leadership is about getting everyone to like them or getting other people to do anything. Anytime in life you're trying to get other people to do anything, you're probably fighting a losing battle. What you want is for people to be inspired of their own volition to take that kind of action. And when you show up authentically, when you get aligned with your own mission values, who you are, what kind of outcomes you want to achieve in the world, that's when you become magnetic to your people, your followers, the people who resonate with you. It's not going to be everybody and you don't need it or want it to be everybody. You just want to cultivate your folks into a group that is going to take some kind of collective out action to create a better outcome. That's that's awesome. Let's dig into the how a little bit. So I'm a budding entrepreneur. I want to go be a leader, grow a team, start a business, whatever the case. But sort of that's really deep down inside and help us bring that out. Like what it what's the what's the first step in in starting that journey of that self-discovery? Figuring out the why, and you know, Simon Sinek wrote a book, Start With Why, that, uh, that, that that's popular. You know, if, I know you're familiar with it. I'm sure our audience is familiar with it. Um, and I love that title because that really is what it's about. Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to grow a business? Why do you want to grow a team? If you're not solid on all of those things, friends, this is way too hard to do without a why. And I, I see you laughing. I know other you know folks in EO, other business people are watching this. Why the fuck would you try to do this? If you didn't have like a good mission-centered, purpose-centered reason to do it. Now, money is motivating to a point for a lot of folks, but there's going to be a limit to that. You're going to get to a point where you've made a lot of money and you go, but, but I'm still not happy or what, right? The, what we see is actually fulfilling for people is when they feel like they're making a difference for other people. And they're doing something. And that can, that can take so many different forms, right? There's not just one way to make a difference for people. There's lots of different ways. But what's important to you and why? is always the North Star that you come back to. When things get hard, and I work with startup entrepreneurs, as you know, when things get really tough, and they always do, 
this is the saving grace is, can we come back to why am I doing this and what's the point? Sure. Sure. When we lose the point, we lose the joy, we lose the motivation. Well, and that leads into the second misconception you brought up about people will follow just by definition of leadership. And it ties into the leader's why and their passion and their energy they bring. Today's guest is a former professional dancer and choreographer who founded the Dance Academy of Virginia during COVID and grew it to a seven-figure company in one year. Wow. A leader in dance education, she has dedicated over 20 years to the dance field as a professional dancer, teacher, choreographer, touring the world, performing in international stages, and teaching at universities. After retiring from the stage, she co-founded a dance company in which her choreography was featured in predominant festivals such as the Jacobs Pillow Dance Festival and the Kennedy Center Millennial Stage. Please welcome Catherine Horgan. Welcome, Catherine. Hi. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. So our podcast is focused on leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Oh, sure. I have a few for sure. Um, I think one of the things that we don't think about as leaders and, and business owners when we get started is that our role as a leader is going to change. So I think it may be a misconception that it's a static role. Um, really what I found from startup to the evolution of my own um, business, my role as leader evolves as well. Uh, I found that in the beginning, it was much about operational management and being in the in the grind with the team and focusing on what has to get done, the doing of everything, <laughs> often much myself, and then leading and guiding and delegating. And then as the companies evolved and I brought on more people, the evolution has now been uh, focusing the team on vision, long-term goals, and building a culture. Uh, and that's been fabulous. And I, I recognize with new people coming in that they need to see the big picture. And that is my role and my job and my responsibility to create it for them. So it's that energy and the passion and where are we going and why. Um, and then that's also important to uh, influence with the community and the, and the customers and the people that are a part of it uh, so that they know what the big picture is. So that's one of the things. Um, another one to piggyback onto that is that the approach to leadership with your team is the same. It's not the same for each person. Uh, what I found is that actually we have to target our message as leaders to each person on our team. They hear and receive information differently. They're there and have different needs, uh, essentially. And what I found is the more I listen, observe, and aware, have build awareness with my team, I'm understanding them better as people. And therefore, I can serve them better and help them be the best they can be in their job. Because ultimately, we want high performers doing a great job. So if I can meet their needs uh, from where they're coming from, uh, I think that's... Um, the way I'm going to get the job done or help them get the job done to their best success. Those are fantastic. I'm um, digging back into the first one regarding uh, the misconception around your, how your role won't change, or you're going to mm -hmm. be the same leader from the beginning to the mm -hmm. end of the journey. At what point in time in your journey, did you recognize that your leadership needed to change or was changing? Sure. So with this business, I'm in my going in my third year. So it's been a, a quick ramp up and scaling in a short amount of time. Uh, I recognize it as soon as I had to bring in new people. Now, I brought in a team immediately when I started the business. Uh, 
And fortunately for me, they were people that I already worked with and they already knew how I did things. And we were in go mode. We were coming into this in COVID. It was a huge rush. I had a month to put the business together and we were just make it happen, get it done. Let's go. I went in back to the classroom, started teaching again. We did what it took. And I was really fortunate to have a group of people who had the same value systems, knew how we needed to work, and we just got the job done. We all understood each other. But as soon as I brought in that first new person that I had never worked with before, had never worked for me, um, no matter what the talent is, you know, you bring in really talented, skilled people, they don't understand who you are, how you work. And so the vision role really started to play out. This year, going into my third season, I've doubled my team, many new talented people, I added managers, and that became even more apparent. I said, what are we doing this for? I want to align my people here, all for a common cause. And I would assume in any industry, this is similar. Um, In dance, we have many talented professionals coming from their careers and the way they were trained. And there's many different approaches. So I also wanted to bring them together about, well, there may be different ways to do this, but what's the end goal here? And then the energy and the space, right? Sorry to to go further with that is the culture piece, right? You know, the great thing about what we do is that we're working with children. So there's natural energy and community and families, and it can be really fun and really uplifting. But what is on the, what's in the background? How's our team doing? What's our energy? How, what, how are we showing up? Uh, what is going to be our communication patterns? Uh, how are we going to work together? Uh, each teacher is in their own studio. So I have to bring them together at times so that we actually collaborate and hear each other and learn from each other and then create that energy for our students over and over and over. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Yeah, you yeah. hit on a, one of my favorite words and it's passion. Mm. Um, curious as you as you changed or shifted from knowing the team you're bringing together mm-hmm. from your past experiences to actually hiring somebody fresh and new today's guest works exclusively with ceos business owners and their executive teams to maximize their top and bottom line goals an executive advisor at the culture index the owner of premier consulting services adam larkin welcome adam hey, thank you very much thanks for having me it's great to have you on the show. So our show is about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Well, sure. Greg, thanks for asking. And, and one of the things that I want to do, and as I tell all of my audiences when I do speaking engagements and podcasts and things like this, is to provide a compelling evidence for people to dig down to my subject matter expertise, which would be human analytics. And within human analytics, we basically spend all of our time studying people and how they act in certain uh, situations, what their tendencies are, and things like that. And so what I want to provide to you today, Greg, are things that I have actually seen either from personal experience or with some of my clients with regard to misconceptions of leadership. So let's hit number one. Uh, The number one misconception is I am never the problem for my employees' lack of performance. All right, so what does that mean? Well, so if you go into Gallup, uh, Gallup is a uh, has a great uh, data and statistics, employee engagement, they do customer engagement, and basically this is a company that just floats on a sea of data. Gallup polls have said, and this is very consistent, Greg, I've been tracking this data for almost 25 years now, It says that 67% of the U.S. workforce is currently disengaged. Mm -hmm. Now, what is a disengaged employee? Well, 
Greg, when we talk about disengaged employees, these are the type of people that just go to work for the paycheck. So think about the number of employees you have within your own company. Divide that by two thirds. And those are the people that are literally going in for the paycheck. Now, if you look at the difference between the engaged and the disengaged employee, an engaged employee is someone that has a, an ownership mentality. In other words, they believe in the company. They believe in the mission, the vision, and they are tied to that mission and had a lot more fun at work as a result of it. But Greg, the number one reason why there is that much disengagement at work is because of the boss. But why is that? Greg, the, the, the boss tends to treat people like the boss. So in my world of human analytics, Greg, we identify 20 patterns that people are uh, hardwired to be since around the age of 12, which means there is around a 5% chance that the person that reports directly up to me has the exact same personality that I, that I have. Our tendency is to use the golden rule at work, which is to treat others the way that you want to be treated. And if that would be the case, Greg, then I'm going to be missing on those people that are not my personality. So what we try to do, good leaders, and here's the solution is, to treat others the way that they want to be treated. And the best way to do that is to find out. And again, within human analytics, and again, the compelling reason is, well, how do you know how to treat other people? And the answer is to use some form of human analytics survey that gives you an insight into how these people are hardwired since the age of 12. And if we do that, then we communicate more effectively, we set people up in an environment that allows them to be more successful and we can properly motivate people. People aren't always motivated by what we are. And as a result, if we have someone that isn't performing, when I work with my clients, one of the first questions I ask is, how are you treating this person? Are you communicating more effectively? Are you providing them the answers that they need? Are you responding to their feedback? And if that's the case, then we will end up treating our employees better, which bucks that trend of only a third of our employees would be engaged. So that would be my first one. Okay. Yeah, look, great. Jump in the second one. I've got loads of questions, but let's hear the second one and then we'll, we'll jump back and forth. All right. The second one. All right. Now, this is a tough one because it is it almost is counterintuitive to what we do as leaders within an organization. I'm going to give you two examples of this. Top performers should be considered for promotion to leadership positions. Okay. Mm. So I'm going to say that again. Top performers should be considered for promotion to leadership positions. All right. Now, here's what I get, Greg, from a lot of my clients. We foster a culture at our work where we promote from within, or we, we look at our internal employees first for promotion. So Greg, I'll challenge you back. What type of employees do we tend to promote? Our top performers. Our top performers, right? Those people that work hard. And guess what? In certain positions, people will excel based on what they are incredibly good at. I'm going to give you two examples, one on the operation side and one on the revenue generation side. These are real world examples, okay? All right, we're on the operation side. Number one, I have a client. It's an engineering firm, Okay. And what we have in this engineering firm, and I'm not going to use the exact names, I'm just say Bob. So Bob has been an engineer for this company for over 15 years. Okay. And as he has grown with the organization, and he is an excellent engineer, 
What he's noticed is, is that this, this engineering firm is also growing. And as they're growing, they're hiring people right out of college. And as they were hiring them right out of college, they are sitting right next to this person with 15 years tenure. They have the exact same title. Pay may or may not be somewhat similar, but they have the same title. And here's a 15-year tenured person sitting next to someone that really doesn't know anything other than the conceptual about engineering, okay? And so what goes through the engineer's brain is, well, I've been here for 15 years, so I should be in management by now. So I pick up the phone or I walk into my boss's office and I say, Greg, I think I'm ready for management, right? And then the, the boss says, great, you know what? I was wondering when you were going to come to me because you're one of our best performers, we're going to put you in a leadership role. And that's what happened with, with this engineer. But part of the reason Greg White was a great engineer is because he was an extreme introvert. And the extreme introvert loves data, facts, information, schematics, engineering work. He likes closing the door. He likes people to leave him alone. Well, guess what? He gets put into a leadership position. And now he is having to deal with people, people's problems, people's emotions having to communicate and talk with more people on a daily basis where before his great work was defined by the fact that he could do his work by himself. So what we ended up doing, Greg, is we ended up having this person that just gutted it out because he was a great employee and he lasted about a year. And what ultimately happened, he ended up burning out is because he was modifying his extreme introversion to become more of an extrovert. And at the end of the day, he just said, you know what? I quit. I'm out. So Adam, and, digging into that mm -hmm. just a little deeper, um, and in hindsight, what? how could the management handle that differently? Is it the person doesn't get promoted because they're introverted and that's not where they're going to excel? Or is there some sort of training or talk to us about how going into that if you knew the data, you knew the information, you knew the type of personality that person is, how could that have handled been handled differently so that an employee didn't burn out? So the advice that I provide back to my clients is this, dig into the why someone wants to move into management. If the why of movement into management is, well, Greg, I think I'm supposed to be there because I've been here for a long time, that's not the answer that I'm looking for. What I am looking for is someone to say, well, the reason why I want to be in management, Greg, is because I want to have a broader influence in the organization. I actually want to lead people toward a common goal. This is something that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. And when I had that opportunity to do it, that's also why I've been working so hard for your firm for the last 15 years. Greg, that's what I'm looking for is because that tells me that there is the desire to lead people, not just a checking the box and this is what I'm supposed to do because my peers are looking at me um, and saying, well, yeah, you're a great individual contributor. Now, here is one of the other pieces of advice that I would provide, which is if they really just want to be recognized for their tenure, then maybe you encourage your organization, your HR department to have a series of peers within your organization. With this particular employee, probably would have made more sense is instead of promoting him to the manager, is to recognize him as a senior engineer within the organization that recognizes tenure. Maybe you give a little bit of bump in compensation, but it definitely pulls you up at a higher level so that when the young 
punk coming out of college is sitting right next to him. He's not like, hey, I do the same thing that you do. So those are the two pieces of advice that I would provide. Find out the why. And do we recognize these people for something more than just putting them into a management position? You know, you, you struck a chord and I see it all the time. Um, this scenario playing out and especially in sales organizations where, you know, the top sales producer gets promoted to a sales manager and then you're dual hatting them to be a top producer and a manager of people. And the roles are completely different, right? Salespeople do sales and sales managers are managing people and training and they're responsible for people, not the ultimate sale at the end of the day. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.